Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. All right, Lonnie, in this week's episode of Josh's fucking chicanery... <laughs> What's going on this week? I have no heat in my house. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, we had three 70-degree days this week. Mm-hmm. Those would have been great days for them to uh-huh. come put a new heater in my house. But they didn't do that. Um, and so then it's been like in the 20s and 30s. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm in a position where today, as we record, I'm like, oh, thank God, it's in the 40s, which is not... <laughs> Not words that I want to use. But the thing is, the reason they didn't jump on those 70 degree days is because I need an entirely new heater. And my property manager said out loud, oh, we're not we're not in the business of putting in new units. And I was like, that's the quiet part. What the fuck are you doing? Like, that's the subtext is dangerously becoming text. Right. And then and then it continued because that was after the first guy came out they have had three different companies come out in hopes that one of them would say will repair it all three of them have been like you got to switch it out amazing oh no okay oh my god now here's the part that i refused (laughs) to tell you until we were on mic so that you could hear (laughs) so everybody could hear your outrage (laughs) on my behalf my reaction yeah okay Mm -hmm. the second guy that shows Mm -hmm. up I have to come home from work. So I come home from work mm-hmm. and he's here and he's looking around and he says two things that definitely perked my ear up. One was, uh-huh. we have to replace it to, magic words, bring it up to code. I've oh, lived shit. here for over a year. Bring it up to code. Oh, no. Uh-huh. And then he said, also, your carbon monoxide levels are a little high. Now, I have a carbon monoxide detector. And I was like, oh, God. is there something mm-hmm. wrong with this? And he goes, no, no, no. Mine is more sensitive. And I'm taking readings at the top of the, like, at the ceiling because yeah. it's lighter than air. He's like, don't run it. But you're fine. <laughs> like, don't, just don't run it. If you have to run right. it, because it's not, technically, I could run it. Like, it works, but it. Only kind of works because eventually it overheats and blows cold air instead. So I. Uh, Yeah, that's no good. Um, Mm -hmm. But like technically I could run it if I needed to. But Uh then there's the carbon monoxide problem. So he's like, don't run it at night. And I'm like, Christ alive. Anyway, now he gets he leaves. He gets 20 minutes Mm -hmm. down the road or whatever. Calls me back and is like, hey, I just got a phone with my boss. I'd really appreciate it if you didn't mention that I told you about the carbon monoxide because they told me not to tell you. What? Because my property manager told their boss, told them to not tell me. And I was like, all right, I'm all worker solidarity. I ain't looking to get you in trouble, but I'm going to be honest with uh-huh. you. At some point, I am probably going to have to have a conversation about that. Oh, no, absolutely. With my property manager, because that's absolutely fucked. Absolutely fucked. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, no, I'm well, fine. Yeah. I have big lung capacity. It's I, I, I you know, but like I have, you a, have pet. a child who lives in that house with yeah. you sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. a pet like that's the, you yeah. know, a tiny like a little who's there all the time. Who's right. there a lot. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. What about these tiny lunged beings? You know, yeah. 
Anyway, I, so oh I was God. like, are you kidding me? And that was the second guy. So after that chicanery, they had to have a third one come out who came out like yeah. Friday night to, to take mm-hmm. a look at it when it's already 20 degrees and I know what my night's going to be like. Ugh. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty not great. Oh, it's my God. It's pretty not great. Well, I'm very sorry, but I'm really glad that that guy told you because yeah. uh, that's super dangerous. And um, I'm glad that you're you're still here to do the show today because, uh, you know, it would have been real sad to lose you. But if we didn't do the show. I, mean, I know. Come on. Yeah. And as I sit here recording this with like coat and scarf on, yes. I am the goddamn Winter Soldier. You are the Winter Soldier. <laughs> Fighting through. All right. I think that's about as good a segue as any. Jack, roll the summary music. In Captain America number eight, The Winter Soldier part one, it's Matryoshka dolls of flashbacks to show how Karpov found Bucky 78 years ago and what Bucky and the gang were up to just last night. Speaking of last night, Philadelphia is in a shambles after Cap is forced to watch the destruction of Lucan's bomb and its aftermath. Aid, Advanced Ideas and Destruction, is trying to get its stuff back, or at least gather some research on how effective their destruction is. Hint, pretty fucking effective. They also call in the MODOK Squad, military organisms designed only for combat, and goddamn do I love superhero comics, you guys. Come on, that's beautiful. Just when one of the MODOKs has Steve dead to rights, he's saved by the Winter Soldier, who Steve recognizes as Bucky which is more than we can say for the soldier who responds with, who the hell is Bucky? Today, Fury finally comes clean with Cap about his suspicions as to the existence and identity of the Winter Soldier. Despite seeing his old protege with his own two eyes, Steve doesn't buy it. It ain't just a river in Egypt though, pal. And since Lucan is the only suspect, Fury's putting together a mission to snatch him out of his own private property, which is pretty fucked. And one of those moments I have to try and keep reading even though everyone in this book is just a fucking crooked cop. Breathe. Usa. Anyway, Steve is all in on the illegal operation because of course he is. Nick tells Sharon that her ex-boyfriend is the guy who found the bomb and won't be attending S.H.I.E.L.D. staff meetings anymore. Sharon is shook, but we don't camp there for too long because we have to get back to 1945. Back in 1945, Karpov is pulling Bucky's mutilated near corpse out of the ice cold water and is all but steepling his fingers and saying, excellent, Mr. Burns style. The big last page reveal is to, I guess, make sure we at least believe that Bucky and the Winter Soldier are the same guy. Insert ominous musical sting here. Okay, oh my god, I cannot tell you how happy I am to be back in Brubaker land, to be here with Captain America. This is my kind of story. But before I get to my response, which basically that is my response, Josh, what is your overall response to this issue? Okay, it's still bangers. This is, there are no yes. complaints. This is good stuff. This is maybe a little bit of a slower issue, even amongst slow <laughs> issues, which is interesting <laughs> because last season we went from Cap to JLA. Yeah. This time going from JLA to Cap, I'm reading this feeling like I'm on fucking Quaaludes. Like it's just <laughs> such a massive gear shift down like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Even yes. the blowing up of Philadelphia feels positively... You know, parochial and tiny in comparison. We're just strolling. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Gather around the campfire, friends. We'll tell you a tale of the Winter Soldier in this boardroom. And I'm just like, hmm. You know, a minute ago we oh were fighting my angels. God. 
such a right okay yes <laughs> that's an exterior story right like that's all the stuff that's going on outside you get a little bit of like every now and again a little bit of a hint of superman's like interior internal yeah, stuff yeah. that's going on but this the main action here is internal the yes. main action here is cap's struggle with all of this we have some of the you know we have a lot of flashbacks we have a lot of like going back in time and kind of like setting everything up and seeing how we got here yes you know? yeah um but I just, I love that we are in an internal storyscape. Now, the thing is, I don't mind an external storyscape. Yeah. I think that that's fine. There's places for that, and that could be a lot of fun. Um, but I do prefer either a balance between the two, which I think is what we get here, or a lean in more into the internal storyscape. I like seeing characters struggle with what's going on. Definitely. I like seeing them try to figure out, uh, you know, what it means, how they feel, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so for me, this is like the dessert at the end of everything that we've done so far. second I looked at the cover mm-hmm, you know and mm-hmm. the cover like let's go ahead and, and talk about the cover art the cover is you know Cap's shield beaten up grungy on a field of debris with Philadelphia burning in the background <laughs> and you just see these shafts the shafts of fiery light reflecting off of the shield and for me like I love it is it the eight million ways to die kind of cover that you get from JLA. No, no, no. Is it yeah. the ridiculous Patsy being shot off a cliff in a van that's already died four times and has a has a stone wheel on one of the? No, it's not that. But I absolutely like. I am so grateful to be back with Brubaker at this point. Even though, like, I did like I've enjoyed definitely like what we've gone through this whole season. Like, it's been really neat. I have so much fun reading comics. Comics, I think, are amazing, um, and I'm having a really great time with that. But just like this is the kind of story stuff that is made for me, and this cover art speaks to me at my heart and soul. I love it. <laughs> Well, and I think it's a great cover. Like, it's really mm-hmm. evocative. It's not very exciting, but it's like also yeah. right in line um, with that's the book. why I'm trying so to sort it, of separate my wait, what are we doing? Reaction. We have you to know, gear from, shift from yeah. dealing with this specific thing because it is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And and as I said, I don't know a better word. It's just evocative. It, you know, like it's both on fire and in destruction and incredibly sad, which is exactly what this issue is all the way through. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it definitely tells you what kind of book you're picking up, uh, yeah. even though it's not necessarily, you know, blowing your wig off. <laughs> What's really funny, though, is I'm looking at my notes, right? And I have the line in my cover art notes. I like a quieter story sometimes. <laughs> all right, let me just tell you again. It is Cap's shield on a field of smoking debris. Right. And Philadelphia is on fire. But it's, you know. Right? But, you know, but we're talking about, it's all about the neighborhood, right? It's all about the neighborhood that you live in, right? You know, and this is our neighborhood at the moment. It is going to take us, I think, just a minute to, like, kind of come down, to kind of to kind of move from that. Um, all right. So the interior art, what did you think about that? Well, I mean, it just remains stunning both Epting and Lark because we get some flashbacks so Lark has some pages in here as well uh which as we've mentioned well they're in black and white actually in this one and um and they're 
similar to Epting's style, but different enough that even if they had colored it normally, we would have known we were in 1945, yeah. right? Like, like mm-hmm. we would have got that it was a flashback. It's just, it's just incredibly well put together. And there's one particular thing we're going to talk more about when we get into the story response. But there's mm-hmm. one place where the art just really stands out for me. And I almost never want to do this. I almost never want us to do any comparisons to movies that borrow from the comics we're covering. But one really stark thing is how different Epting's conception of the Winter Soldier is from the way Sebastian Stan winds up playing the character in the movies. And Mm -hmm. um, there's, we'll talk more. There's not a better or worse, but it just really sticks out to me that it makes it a really different, it changes the flavor of the story, I guess. Like the, the, Mm -hmm. the story is not the same because the, but like that, the, the Steve and Bucky relationship story, it just gets seasoned differently depending on Mm -hmm. the acting. And here's Epting making some acting choices that are great. And then when it gets translated, completely different acting choices are made and it's also great. So It was just that stood out to me because of the comparison. Oh, definitely. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Let's move into our story space here, you know, which again, like as I'm looking at all of these people shooting at Cap, he's carrying children (laughs) through fire. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's a little quieter. It's, it's, you know, it's only one Modoc squad, not the bull host of heaven. <laughs> and yet, I think we still have a lot of tension. We still have a lot of, you know, action and excitement and stuff that's going oh, on here. Sure. It's just that it's deeply rooted in this interior experience for Cap and everything that he's going through. Because we're we're flashing back between a number of different spaces. We're flashing back between um you know, we've got uh, Cap last night flashback. We've got 1945 flashback. Um, and we keep like going back and forth between all of these spaces to where Bucky was first brought in to where uh, where Cap was last night and what he was experiencing and what's going on right now with Fury and Cap and um, and Sharon, uh, you know, in the, in the boardroom meeting, basically. Right. In right? the nominal present. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the nominal present. Right. So there's so much going on um and actually like one of the things to talk about really is flashbacks because generally like i don't care for flashbacks that much you don't usually care for flashbacks that much but i don't think either one of us was really bothered by this not at all in fact that's that's why i kind of wrote it down because i was like this is actually working for me even though one of those flashbacks is one of the hackiest fucking flashbacks in the world the meanwhile when the more exciting shit was going on kind of flashback Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, these really like flow and work together for me. I'm never confused, even though it's legitimately a double flashback. Like right. the reveals, it causes the reveals to happen sort of in the right order, with the exception of I'm a little confused of why we're so in love with that big full page reveal of Bucky back in 1945. Like we know by that point. So I'm a yeah. little confused by that one. But overall, it really makes the whole thing work. And so... <laughs> My note is literally, these flashbacks work for me. Does my hypocrisy know no bounds? I don't think so. I think it's about execution. I think it's about the reason why people use flashbacks. Like here we actually have flashbacks that are sort of weaving in and out from each other, right? Um, And we have Cap reliving. And that's, you know, and even though he's like now in the room with Fury and with Sharon, when you have a trauma 
And Cap still feels like all of this stuff, you know, Philadelphia exploding. I mean, it's not maybe Tuesday for Cap, but it's like, you know, the fourth Thursday of the month. Right. right you yeah. know, everything's on fire. Things People are shooting at him, yada, yada, yada. But this is still a traumatic experience for him. Like he hasn't shut himself off to where he's not feeling it. And for anybody who's been through trauma, you relive it and you relive it and you relive it over and over and over again. So I feel like this is the moment for Cap. Right. Fury's talking and he's rescuing those kids. Fury's talking yeah, yeah. and he's saying, Bucky, Fury, you know, so all that stuff is happening. Um, the 1945 flashbacks, I think, are probably the ones that feel a little more out of place, especially because, yes, we do know, like, there's nothing in there that's a big surprise. We know that Karpov was behind it. I think the big thing in the 1945 flashbacks is the moment where you see Bucky, you know, like in the water, but also missing his left arm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so like his arm is completely gone. So it's not just that he's been traumatized and, and knocked out and like, you know, in the water and drowned to some degree, but also probably frozen because it was cold water. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff involved in that. Um, but that we see the connective tissue between the last time Steve saw Bucky yes. and now, you know, so we're seeing like what that was. So I feel like in some way this is Bucky's you know, big moment of transition and trauma and that maybe this is something that he is reliving in a way, even though he wasn't there in the early parts of the flashback where they're just talking in the summary and they find his body. So I feel like we've got, you know, Steve's experience and flashes and then Bucky, maybe, you know, what he's imagining or remembering or whatever about his experience. Um, and and what happened to the two of them that, you know, because we also have like the Cap was shot down, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. So no, that's literally the same day Cap yeah. goes in the ice. Like, it's yeah. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. So this is both like an experience for them, like the, sh- the last shared space that they had was both of them dying together in the water and then mm. neither one of them died you know right. and here they are back and now we're coming back full circle so i feel like there is something to it again like flashbacks can be a little hacky sometimes because i think that oftentimes when writers go to flashbacks they go to flashbacks so that they can deliver exposition Right. Or because there's something in the past that they wrote that was really, really great or a great moment in the past. And they just want to be able to write that scene. By the way, writers, you can write that scene. You don't have to put it in your final product. I'm just saying, go ahead and write it. You don't need it in your final product. Um, But in this instance, I do feel like these flashbacks are taking us through these two traumatized characters and reliving that trauma, right? Because that's how you process trauma is you tell that story. You tell that story over and over and over again. So for me, I think that there is a very deep, like emotional, um, real psychological resonance to reliving these experiences. And I think that that's to me why it feels like it comes together, even though it is you know, kind of like hatch it together. Yeah. We've got these little bits and pieces of each story as they go. And I, you know, I like it. I got to say, like, again, everything can work. Voiceover can work depending on the circumstance. Flashback can work depending on the circumstance. Prologue can work depending on the circumstance. It's just that a lot of times writers go to all three of those for exposition, and that's not why you should be using any of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and to, to be honest... With the 1945 stuff, there is a certain amount of, um, I would almost say, metatextual necessary, yeah, you know, explanation because we are all sitting there going, okay, we have accepted that Bucky is back, but we do have one question, and that is how, 
Like, so, you know, it's dealt with in pretty much the most economical fashion so that we can all go, oh, like that and move on. Mm -hmm. But also, it's not quite the level of sort of poignancy that we're getting from Steve and Sharon, obviously. But Mm -hmm. Karpov... Who is sort of our proto Lucan, right? Like when when right, when it's too point. early to be Lucan, Karpov is our Lucan stand-in, and he could not be more happy with this development. Yeah. You know, it's just mm-hmm. so even in this where we are, if if there's anywhere that's checking a box, the nineteen forty five flashbacks are it. You know that like necessary stuff. We got to say it, um, but we're also gonna like inject some amount of emotional storytelling into that. Is uh yeah, yeah it's it, it goes back to our conversation about don't let things do one thing when they can do two or three things in your story. Absolutely, which is not really a choice for comic books because there is no <laughs> space and there is so much story. Ten pounds of story in a five pound bag. Um, but I absolutely love the way that this is moving along. I was excited, even though we don't really get Lucan, you know, in mm-hmm. this. We get a mention of him with Fury at the, you know, towards the end. But I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about Lucan. Like, I, oh my god, it's a complicated villain. It's a villain who has, you know, all of these things going on. And yes, he's bad and he's wrong, but also at the same same time like there's a certain level where you're like I get it look what this guy's been through look what he's you know trying to do or what he thinks he's doing you know and um and so like I'm really excited to be spending some time with Lucan and thinking about that as well so yeah there is just like a bunch of stuff um in here that I'm I'm so excited to get back to and I find it very very strange how comforting it is for me to be back in a story where this is the first time I think since we started season two of In the Gutter that I haven't opened up a show by saying I don't know what the fuck is happening here. <laughs> That's true. Like it's I true. actually know what's happening and I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Lucan's return is a legitimately mm-hmm. exciting thing. Like we yeah. we kind of had to take a break from him obviously for uh, uh, the, 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 the entire flashback issue like explaining who Nomad and and Jack Monroe are. And even then, he's always a lurking presence, but he hasn't been at the forefront. We haven't had him sort of on screen, as it were, in a while. After this issue, the next couple issues, we're going to have a fair amount of Lucan. Not a little in the next one, but a lot in the one after that is going to add additional layers. And since one of my favorite things is, you know, the the seed of its own failure is planted by villainy itself. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, we're going to get a big fat wad of that with Lucan in the next couple issues. I'm really excited for you to see that stuff. I'm excited for it, too. But what we do get of Lucan in this issue is Fury with a plan. Yeah. I just. (laughs) So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Okay. Listen, y'all are going to have to hear this. We actually see the op in the next issue, Mm -hmm. okay? So I'm gonna try and keep this under control because I'm probably gonna be madder about it next time. But honestly, this is definitely one of those places where I know for a fact I read this differently in 2005. Like, I'm pretty sure in 2005, I had had barely made my moves out of uh, the land of being a right-wing shithead. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm certain that like unilateral choices by uh, extra governmental security agencies didn't bother me. Whereas now I'm just like, fucking cops, man. Why you got to make Cap a cop? I don't need this in my life. Yeah. 
Uh, because mm-hmm. it is like it's illegal. It's it's an illegal action. They will talk even more in detail next issue about how illegal this action is. And Nick's just yeah. like, yeah, but we're fucking doing it. And Cap's like, goddamn right we are. And I'm like, calm the fuck down. <laughs> Shield does a lot of shady shit. Yes. Um, this is not at all new for Shield. And I think that Fury is really interesting. Like the way that Lucan is a complicated villain. I think Fury can be really interesting as as a complicated hero, except that it doesn't seem like the text sees anything wrong with it either. And I think that's where we go wrong. Yes. It's where the text isn't questioning any of this. The text, like when, when Cap says, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. That sounds good, right? The text doesn't have a moment of, ah, that's yeah. not okay, right? Yeah. You know, like even if Cap and Fury are into it for their own reasons, which by the way, I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with people doing bad shit. That's what stories are about. We all do bad shit and then we learn and we figure it out. But when the text presents it as though it's good and positive and okay, um, that's where we have a problem. Now, again, let me just say, I say this a lot, but I want to say it again, just real quickly. Nobody's uh, throwing shade on creators. Creators are part of our culture they create things that reflect us back at us the problem is not the creator the problem is us and who we are as a culture so those are the things that we are critiquing but somebody who is in a particular culture at a particular time had i been writing something like this i might have not known better either in 2005 you know oh, that, um, that's the thing yeah. actually i want to say i don't i don't think yeah. that this is an accident like i i don't i mm-hmm. think that no the story doesn't give any side eye to this because no one in that room would give any side eye yes. to this, right? Like, I think Brubaker is a person who is aware, <laughs> you know, of uh, all the various ways that our agencies have fucked about in the globe over the last, you know, since World War II, right? Um, right. So I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily even. How do I say this? The story itself is staying in character. Mm-hmm. There's no one in that room to give this plan side eye. I want Captain America to do it. Right. That's right. what I want, because there's really only like this is the thing I've, I've talked about before, is that there's only a handful of full bore white hats in the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. even on the good guy right. side. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Cap is mm-hmm. almost always one of them, um, along with Spider-Man and the thing like everybody else has got like real shades of gray. But those three tend to just be like moral compasses. Right. And but here he's so emotional. Steve is so emotionally compromised. And I'm not right. even mad about it. I, I it just it bothers it bothers me. Because he's not mad about it, even though I understand why he's not mad about it. So he would ordinarily give the side eye to the shield nonsense that we've been seeing all along. I'd like to think that's so. The thing. Right. But, but not but always. Because, but the fact that nobody's in the room to give it that side eye is still a choice not to have oh, that's anybody. True. I mean, Sharon yeah. could. Like Sharon could. Oh, no. Um, but she's a harder ass spy than, like, she's low key a harder ass spy yeah. than Nick. Like, okay. You know, so. Right. But you could have put somebody in that room who would do sure. it, or you could put something in there that would be a surprising thing. Like maybe Sharon would be surprised that Steve isn't complaining or something like that. I don't know. And again, like if you know the characters better, there may be some textual side eye that I'm just mm-hmm. not picking up. But um, but I do think that like those are the kinds of things that this is us reflecting us back at us. Sure, you know. Absolutely. So I'm just just as long as it's clear, we're not throwing shade on creators um, who do this stuff without realizing 
that they're doing it because they're part of a culture that they are just reflecting. Um, so I think that that's, you know, like that's definitely like a shady moment. Um, but I am so, so thrilled though, to be back in this land of like emotional yeah, storytelling, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, we see Steve in this meeting, just freaking like, first of all, trying to stay present. And the flashbacks into the last night, I think, are absolutely what he is experiencing in the moment. I think that he is in this moment going back and forth, right? Staring at images of Bucky, you know? And then when he says Bucky, and then the guy says, who the hell is Bucky? Uh -huh. And he doesn't know. Like, he's completely in this space where he is not entirely sure what's going on, you know? Um, and he's really resistant with, you know, deciding that this winter soldier who has aged five years and eight decades or however long it's been, you know, um, that that this is his best friend and that even if it is, you know, his best friend, it's not anymore. It's not Bucky. You know, like there's a loss that comes along with that. There is so much stuff going on in this space um, that I'm really loving. And we're getting that background on who is the Winter Soldier? What is the Winter Soldier? Associating the Winter Soldier with Bucky. How does that work? You know, um, all of these things. And coming from a guy who hasn't aged in yeah. 70 years or whatever, yeah. like now he's looking at his buddy who hasn't, I, I guess at the point this was where it was like 60 years. Um, but nevertheless, still, not only has his buddy not aged, not only is his buddy not dead, but his buddy is an assassin. His buddy is somebody that he is going to be sent after. Mm -hmm. All of that is incredibly complicated. And to also know, like you're talking about this, like that Bucky was basically put into a cryogenic sleep and then only woken up to go and murder dudes. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, it is such a mess. And to know, to realize that someone that you love dearly, you know, has been gone all this time. You've been grieving that relationship only to find out that they're here and they're the enemy. They're the one yeah. that you have to go after. Like, this deep stuff, when Cap smashes the monitor, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I love, you know, Cap is a guy who usually keeps it together. Right. If yeah. he's throwing a fit, it's bad. Like, things are bad. You see his body language in this. He's slumped over. His arms are crossed over. He's not even looking at the monitors, he's not looking at Fury, he's not looking at anything, he's just staring at the at the table in front of him. Um, it's so heartbreaking. And after, you know, like the mayhem, the pastel mayhem that was Patsy, <laughs> and then the JLA pulling the moon down from space kind of thing, right? All of this stuff is angels and demons and everything. And now we're going back into, I cannot believe I'm saying this, a smaller story space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when, when this shit, when Winter Soldier is a smaller story space, uh, that is always an interesting kind of comparison to have. Um, but yeah, like I just, I love being in that deep emotional space. It's so fun. And I think though it is, it, it's not just smaller than Patsy or the JLA. Like it is, I think it's purposefully made more mm -hmm. claustrophobic like the the comparison to 70s cold war spy thrillers cannot be overemphasized like this is a superhero comic we have to have some action but then what do we do we go back to a boardroom you mm -hmm. know where we talk yeah, about right. I, I mean which which sounds normally for me if i said that it would be very shady you know but right. like mm -hmm. because there's all this resonance because we want to make it close because we want to make mm -hmm. it feel like they are hemmed in 
by the circumstances going on around them that Captain America is hemmed in by his memories, his facts, his emotions. It should feel claustrophobic and they do it. They absolutely do it. It's it's not just a smaller story. It's a relatively smaller story told even smaller, you know. And yet Philadelphia is on fire. Like right. this is the thing. Like how like it's not just like the way the JLA did this, you know, incredibly and like, you know, generally in DC the scale is so much broader and all of that. But like how even if you're just looking at Cap and we're not in any comparison space to anything else out there, the fact that it feels like a small story in small movements when Philadelphia is on fire, when people are Modoc is called in. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but you're but but small moments even happen in the midst of that. Like yeah. before we're fighting yeah. Modocs, Cap fails to sa- he saves some kids, which is awesome. But then he fails to save this husband who is free, but staying there with his wife who's trapped under debris, and he doesn't get there in time. And I mean, it's such a relatively small moment on the way to the action of the Modoc squad and yeah. running into Bucky. But the fact that that's included in the flashbacks that are fucking Steve up in the boardroom, not an accident. He like <laughs> the the loss of life. He's so angry at aid because they're just this, all this destruction, all this misery. You're just looking at it. Like it's a bunch of ants under glass. Fuck you guys. And then proceeds to, yeah. you know, break jaws in a way that we can all agree. Jaws should be broken. Right. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. again, yeah. Not an accident. No accidents. No no wasted moments. Uh, all of that's in there for a reason. And all of it is preying on. I really feel like even those innocent deaths are preying on Steve at least as much as the Bucky angle. You know, yeah. that's like a force yeah. magnifier. But otherwise, he'd still be all in a all in a twist because all of this is just like I mean, all of this is really just like super villain dick measuring bullshit. All these people yeah. died to prove some points. You know, uh, both by aid, yeah, we can do it, and by Lucan, I can fuck up your universe, Steve. You know, mm-hmm. it, yeah, difficult, difficult for him. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's so incredibly devastating, and that moment with Bucky is just so. And you know, he's he's looking at Bucky and he's saying Bucky, and then tomorrow he's going to be in a boardroom denying that. Uh huh. You know, yeah. like that whole trauma process of trying to understand what happened to you being so beautifully portrayed here you know and um yeah like i just i absolutely love all of that um but the modoc thing all right so for people who did not listen to listen up a-holes i don't remember which episode it was in it was fairly early on i think uh, where hold we... on i think it was iron man 3 because I do not love the way that Iron Man 3 came together and thought that it all would have been a lot more interesting if instead of Extremis, we were fucking around with turning Guy Pierce into MODOK, the uh-huh. Uh-huh. mobile organism designed only for killing. That's, you know. So I'm pretty sure it was Iron Man 3. I think it was. I think it was. But the whole thing being uh, MODOK... Uh, is again, what is it? What does it stand for? So, the, the one for the, only for killing the real Modoc, the one that is in charge yeah. of AIM, 
is a mobile organism designed only for killing. Yes. And it is this weird 95% head thing. And it's it's so weird. Um, I'll see if I can find the original image. But Joshua basically said, all right, he held this thing. He had the link in the script. And during the show, I wasn't allowed to look at it before the show. During the show, he made me look at it. And then there was my response to that, which was, oh, my God, this is obscene. Like, it's so freaking weird. Um, but because that was such a defining moment of Listen Up A-Holes, <laughs> one of those things we have referenced so so many times when your I reaction saw was Modoc, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so well. First thing I did was I texted Joshua and I was like, Oh my god, Modoc! Oh my god, Modoc! And then I was like, Oh wait, no, but they're spelling it with a C, not a K, <laughs> so it must be something different. And then I was like, Oh, military operatives designed only for combat, whatever, you know. <laughs> okay, no, in comparison to Modoc himself, any other almost any other version of Modoc is going to be a disappointment. That that dude is just like. So much power and so much intelligence wrapped up in such a petulant and petty shell that like no other, ver almost no other version of Modoc is going to, is going to compare. I do want to point out to you uh, that sometimes in the stuff that skews younger, they still spell that Modoc with a C and he becomes a mobile organism designed only for conquest, which to be honest, uh. I think is better because when he's leading AIM, right. he's not just like trying to murder dudes. He's like, no, we're, we are taking over the world. Like that's the, uh -huh. you know, like yeah. a real Cobra Commander vibe. Um, also, there was uh, an issue where all of the Avengers got turned into Modocs, and that was pretty fascinating. I'll try and dig oh, up an image of that, that for you. Yeah, we're not reading oh, it, yeah, no. but that moment Definitely was great. Definitely have to see that. But what I appreciate about the squad is that it ties into all of this larger lore in in a way that makes sense for Aid, who's a splinter of aim, right? Mm. But gives us a different way to be scared of Modocs. Like that Steve is just like grabbing people by the lapels and like, you've got two seconds to tell me what in the good goddamn that means, you know? <laughs> and then when they tell him and then it's a squad and he's fighting them and, 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 and there is a real, at least I personally read that page uh, as a very, I'm too old for this shit, you know, kind right. of moment that Steve looks up at him and he's like, all right, let's do this. Like he's not even, in, you know, excited about it. And then later when they're like increase speed by 20%, increase speed by 20%, he's like hive mind. Great. Like there's no. <laughs> Remember a few issues ago when he was like, I know how to beat aim. They've never made anything that didn't make, that didn't require a bajillion gigajoules of power. And I'm just going right. to joyfully destroy this. This is like the God damn it. Like it's. <laughs> I'm so excited to know this thing about AIM. And then this is the like, well, oh, he's fuckers. It's always this shit. It's always it's this always shit. It's always this shit. Right. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like that he is, you know, almost bored. You know, <laughs> that he's just like, I am way too. Because like, yeah, he looks 35. But this dude is like 110 now. Like, and he's, he's been just, doing This is his whole life. Through it. This he's has been literally been his whole life. For Ever. And there is nothing that they are going to think up that he hasn't faced in some way before. And he's like, all right, let's do it. Here, we're going to throw the shield. I'm going to smack you in the head. <laughs> I'm going to get stabbed in the yeah. side. They actually exactly. managed to stab him in the ribs. <laughs> and he's just like, whatever. Not my first rodeo, dude. Like, oh. he's been through this before like i want to see cap at something he's never done before i want sharon to take him to the sheep and wool festival in rhinebeck new york for a weekend <laughs> i want to see that i want to see cap trying to knit 
a pair of socks. That's what I want to see. Um, but anyway, so we go through this whole thing and we land at the end on this shot of Bucky being pulled out of the water uh, by Karpov. Only one arm has been in the water for I don't know how long. <laughs> Um, and somehow they bring him back, they put him together, and now he's there, he's going to be their winter soldier. And that that's where I was wanted to kind of like draw some distinctions between the portrayal of the winter soldier in the comics versus the MCU. And again, I am mm-hmm. rarely going to do this. The reason that this one jumps out at me is if you read this comic book, this version of the winter soldier is all hard edges. Like, yeah. He's he's not just frowning every time we see him, but it's like this deep, you know, just like like I, I don't know, like he's your cranky neighbor down the street that wants you <laughs> off your off the lawn. Also, he'll murder you, right? Like it's <laughs> he's so just hard. Like that's it's all yeah. planes and angles, right? And the approach of Sebastian Stan, who I don't know if Stan could do it any other way, is just like, even as he is this implacable, unstoppable killing machine, he looks like he's real fucking sad about it. Like, he just looks yeah, hollow yeah. inside instead of mm-hmm. hard. Um, and it just, the the two approaches really flavor the story differently for me. Um, there's just, I don't have a lot of empathy yet for the Winter Soldier in the comic book yet, like even no, all, all my feelings are for Steve and Steve dealing with that. This being Bucky, whereas in the movie, it's like as soon as we see him, even when he's lurking in the dark, you know, yeah. uh, to talk to his boss, these soulful eyes like Stan is just <laughs> selling it. Right. <laughs> he absolutely is. He absolutely is. And yeah. And here. Bucky seems harder. And that is, I think for me, I feel more for Cap in the comics. And in the movies, they're both breaking my heart. Yes. But like for Cap, like the fact that Bucky is clearly in there somewhere, you know, in the movies that Stan is holding, is holding a flame alive for Bucky, like in that performance and in the comic book performance that the art puts on, you know, um, in, in Epstein's performance, um, it's very hard. And we're, we're not sure there's any part of Bucky left in there, you know, um, that it may not be that he doesn't remember being Bucky. Or that he just, he just, that's a different person for him. You know, the same way you would look at your toddler self and be like, I have no connection to that person. Right. You know, Um, so I think it's an interesting kind of alternative look at it. Both of them are devastating, Mm -hmm. you know, emotionally. And of course, that's what I, I just break my heart, comic book. That's what I want. Don't break my brain. (laughs) Don't get throw this patsy shit at me. Break my heart and I am yours forever. All right, here we are. The favorite art, favorite story. Um, for me, there, all of the stuff in the boardroom is so emotionally fraught. It's not that it's poorly drawn. It's gorgeous. You're right. There's all this acting going on with, with Cap's body language, but it's sort of spread out over pages on purpose, right? Which means that for me, I've got to look for my favorite piece of art 
in the more actiony stuff. Not because that yeah. other stuff isn't doing its job. It is, but it's not like one moment. It works by being a series of moments, right? Right. So for me, my favorite piece of art is the one page where the Modoc squad shows up and is literally looming over Cap. Like they're higher than him, uh-huh. either because of the shot or the debris or a little bit of both. And then it switches into, all right, let's do this. You know, just this exhausted, <laughs> okay, I guess this is what we're doing. Because it's legitimately intimidating and terrifying Mm -hmm. um just because cap is tired doesn't mean that he's under the illusion he'll survive every one of these dumbass things these guys throw at him you know like you got to admit one of these times they might get you you know kind of thing so it's legitimately intimidating and then just ends with his just exhaustion and i really i really like the uh the redesign of different elements really clear visual hallmarks of modok designed only for killing translated into some dudes that can fuck you up uh hand to hand yeah. is is really yeah. it's just a lot of like really clever stuff going on for what is kind of a throwaway fight honestly especially for cap yeah <laughs> even yeah. cap thinks of it as a throwaway fight like whatever um i actually love cap running through the burning hellscape with two kids under his arm and his shield up deflecting everything oh, so like good. something about that it's so beautiful it's so heroic it's so typically cap and it's also tuesday like mm-hmm. again like cap is doing this thing he's interested in saving these kids but he's just like this is just another day for him you know he's just doing the same thing again um which i absolutely love for him because this heroic space that he lives in never is about ego for cap yeah. it's never yeah. about here i come to save the day like yeah. it's never any of that stuff it's like i'm just gonna save the day because what i do then i'll like go and get some french fries or you know whatever like it's just you know he's just been through it so much so the heroic moments are important to him but they are also like secondary to like all the other stuff that he's got going on um but i love the visuals of that i think that art is just incredible and especially because we have basically three different color scapes going on we have the black and white from the history we have the very cool greens and blues from the meeting with fury and sharon and then we have this bright, fiery, red, painful, you know, colorscape from those memories of the traumatic memories of the night before. Um, all of that reflecting on each other in this really kind of neat way. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that color, but you're right. The color scheme is really different. Like they are in hell. Like it's all yeah. reds and oranges and shadows and flickering. You know, there's no movement on the page and yet still flickering flames is suggested to yeah. me. Um, and also, since I give a lot of hassle and will again next week about Cap as a crooked <laughs> cop, I think it's nice to have a Cap as heroic firefighter moment, too. Like, that's part yeah. of my big mental shift is I want to think about superheroes as firefighters, not as cops, you know. Um, yes. mm-hmm. And 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 that it's nice to be reminded Cap Cap will do both, you know. Yes. Uh, it's not I, I, all I think he's more cops. firefighter. More yeah. often He's than more not, fire yes. Fire. More firefighter. All right, so what's your favorite part of the story? And, you know, spoilers, we both picked the exact same favorite part. So. Yeah, do you want to, do you want to, like, count down and sure. say it in unison? So it's like, all right. Three, two, <laughs> two one. one. Who, who, who the, the hell, hell is, is Bucky? Bucky? It's exactly it. It's amazing. We're building up to it. Like, I mean, in one way, we're saps for picking it because, like, of course, that's right. the one. But of also, course. that's the thing. But like, what that's else what are you going to pick? That's, yeah, that's, it's yeah. there to be picked on purpose. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. so good. It's so good. 
<laughs> I absolutely love it. It's freaking heartbreaking. Even with this version of Bucky being somebody that may be too far gone mm-hmm. to ever get back. Um, I think that's just adds to Cap's devastation, um, you know, and his kind of hopeless space that he's in the next day. Um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And, and not to beat the dead horse, but like, it's absolutely a place where I read the delivery of that line from that version of Bucky so differently than the, Sebastian Stan's take on the exact same line in the Winter yeah. Soldier movie. It's, there's real acting going on in both places and it's so great Mm -hmm. it's so legitimately great we'll be back next week with captain america number nine the winter soldier part two in which nick steve and sharon go on an unsanctioned op and what do you know it goes badly meanwhile crossbones continues to honor the memory of the red skull in his own unique way with murder and kidnapping but who's this girl he's murdering for and kidnapping until then It is hope, my friend, for the future. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Unruh and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.